Hello, and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard. I'm the staff pastor at Orchard Hills Bible Church in Payson, Utah. And I'm just walking through the curriculum that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has put out for their Sunday school class. This year, going through the Old Testament passage by passage, and I'm offering some thoughts for those interested from a Bible church pastor, kind of connecting some dots in the Bible uh, from my perspective that you might find helpful. If you don't find it helpful, uh, just stop listening or watching. That seems to be something that uh, many people online are having a hard time doing, so just thought I would I would uh, remind you of that here at the start. You can just stop listening if you do, if you don't want to listen. Okay, now that that's out of the way, um, we have an interesting setup this week. Let me grab this uh, schedule. It uh, Last week, we were looking at Exodus 18 to 20, and now for this week, it is Exodus 24. So jumping over chapters 21 to 23, it's Exodus 24 and Exodus 31 to 34. So also jumping over chapters 25 to 30. And I know that uh, not everything can be covered in, in class. I mean, even uh, with the chapters that weren't skipped over, I'm sure you're not covering everything in your class. Uh, I just think it's interesting that it's it's just kind of set up that way. But um, yeah, it works. So today we're actually, for our purposes, just going to be looking at the end of Exodus 34. So the very end of the section that is being covered in the curriculum this week. We're just looking at the final part of Exodus 34, where uh, Moses has this really interesting experience with his face. <laughs> so let's uh, jump on over and check out that text. Exodus 34, starting in verse 29. Oh, and I guess I should back up a little bit and just give a general overview, just in case. You probably know what was going on. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're interested in talking about this, you probably read the text, but just a quick overview. Uh, the golden calf incident happened. Moses received the Ten Commandments. He has these tablets of stone, and he comes down off the mountain. While he was away on the mountain with God, the people made a golden calf and began worshiping it. Even Aaron was joining in with the, uh, the false worship here. Moses got angry, smashed the tablets down, well, he goes back, the covenant is renewed with Israel, and new tablets are given. That is like the quickest way you could ever tell that story. He now has the new tablets from God uh, that are replacing the ones that he smashed in his anger. And uh, this is what happens next. Okay, verse 29. It came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him, speaking with God. Verse 30, So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Yeah, I would be too, I think. <laughs> Verse 31, Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil 
until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel what he had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses that the skin of Moses' face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him, God. That's pretty interesting, is it not? (laughs) Moses had a, a glowing face and people were freaked out. He would spend time with God, shiny face, and then he would come uh, out of the presence of God, this particularly intensely manifested presence of God, and he would put a veil over his face for the sake of the sons of Israel. That's, that's pretty remarkable. Um, but this is not the only place in the Bible where we have this uh, description. It's not like this is just a paragraph in Exodus and then it's never talked about again, like, oh, that was really strange. Let's just n- never discuss it. No, it, it is discussed. So I want to take you also to 2 Corinthians. Okay, that's where we are uh, going to read more about this. And I will pull it up here before I turn it over on the screen here. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to pick that up in verse 7. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7. Paul writes to this church in Corinth, But if the ministry of death, in letters engraved on stones, came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? All right, we're just going to stop right there for a moment. First thing to notice is that Paul called this covenant that was under the law, the covenant given through Moses, the covenant covenant that I went through pretty uh, thoroughly last week in saying that it was a conditional covenant, He calls that covenant the ministry of death. He talks about the law as being an agent of death. Now, this is pretty interesting. As you take your mind back to Exodus and what's going on with Israel at that time, you have God, of course, their God, who delivered them out of Egypt, who redeemed them out of Egypt. He has made a covenant with them, and this covenant is conditional. This is not grace. This is if you obey then these things will happen. And when, when we get to Deuteronomy, we're going to see a really detailed expression of that. That's kind of the end of uh, the law. It's the fifth book of the Bible, and it's the fifth book by Moses. And it's at the end of that book that Moses kind of concludes, okay, this is the whole purpose of the law being given to you. It's a conditional covenant. It's not grace. And so Paul is here saying that this conditional covenant for the people of Israel was a ministry of death. It was to bring about a killing, and we'll get back to that in a moment. But he says, even so, this ministry of death brought about such an amazing glory that Moses' face shone. Wow. And he's going to contrast that ministry of death and its glory with the present ministry that he was experiencing through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's go back. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. 
For indeed, what had glory, in this case, has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. So Paul is saying something new has happened. There was an old covenant that brought about death, that brought about condemnation. That's the other word he used here. It was conditional, and those conditions were to bring about a failing, were to bring about a condemnation, were to bring about a death. And if that covenant, that old system, if that had a glory, as demonstrated through Moses' face shining, how much more, how much more will this new ministry by the Spirit have glory, abound in glory, have so much glory that it actually makes the other one look like no glory at all. The old system is fading away, Paul says, and this new ministry that has come, it overtakes it in glory. Okay, well, let's keep reading and, and then explain some more here at the end. Verse 12, therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. When Paul says we here, he's probably talking about uh, not just himself, of course, but the other apostles. That's the plurality, both Paul and the other apostles. We use great boldness in our speech. Verse 13, and are not like Moses. We are not like Moses, Paul says, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. Oh, okay, let's stop right there for a moment. Let's stop right there. So Paul is saying, uh, we are speaking now with this new ministry by the Spirit, we are speaking with boldness. We are not speaking like Moses did, who covered himself with a veil and, and wasn't very bold. We're, we're speaking as bold people. There was something that was fading away back then, and Moses wasn't speaking boldly about something that was fading away, but through him, God was demonstrating the glory of that covenant, which was still glorious. It was a God-given covenant. Yet today... Yet today, we can speak with boldness by the Spirit because Jesus has come and established a new ministry. He's released us from the conditions of the law, and we are now free to speak boldly of the grace of God. Paul said that their minds were hardened, that as they were looking at Moses, the sons of Israel, the ones who needed to have that veil between them and Moses' glorious face, their minds were hardened. And then he connects it to the present day, and it says, even now, even at, at the present, in this very day, when they read the Old Testament, when they're reading the works of Moses, there's a veil that's still there. And he says that it's a veil that lies over their hearts. And this is really important. Uh, there are some people who will say, well, look, as long as you're reading the Bible, that's great. As long as you're reading about God in the Old Testament, New Testament, whatever, that's great. That's wonderful. That's delightful. Well, no, 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 it's not. It can be. It can be a good thing. It can be a delightful thing. It can be a positive thing if the person 
has a relationship with God, if the person has entered into a personal relationship with God. Otherwise, what are you doing? Well, you're just like these Jews who are reading the Old Testament, and their minds are still hardened because there's a veil lying over their hearts. There's something that's blocking them. Think of the veil in the, uh, in the temple that was keeping people out of the most holy place. Through Jesus' death, that curtain was torn, that veil was torn. But if someone has not been joined to God by faith through the gospel, the person and work of Jesus Christ, if that person has not been united to their maker, then it's not a great thing for them to be reading the Bible. It's just a thing. (laughs) It's just like them tying their shoes. There's nothing positive about that. They're not accomplishing anything spiritually because they're still separated from God. They still have that veil between them and God. So they need to have that veil removed, Paul says. And he's using this whole situation with Moses, as described in Exodus 34, as a launching off point, contrasting the old system with this new ministry by the Spirit, and explaining how there needs to be a a unity by faith between God's, uh, God's elect and God himself. Let's keep reading. Okay, look at verse 17, or verse 16, rather. How do you get the veil removed? Well, it says, whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, let's stop right there. When a person returns, or turns, not returns, turns to the Lord, Paul says, the veil is removed. So how does reading the Bible go from being just a mundane exercise or being just a neutral act or just a, I don't know, a happenstance type of situation, how does that go from there to being something that actually gets you closer to God? Well, the veil has to be removed by the person turning to the Lord. Just a moment ago, I was uh, saying that God's elect are the ones who need to have the veil removed. Uh, There are certain people, and if you're still listening after I use the word elect, kudos to you. Uh, There are certain people whom God has chosen who will turn to the Lord. There are certain people that uh, God has chosen to enter into relationship with, and by His power, He causes the veil to be lifted as they turn to Him in faith. He's the one who gets the credit for this. It's a totally a work of His grace. This is a gift that God gives. That's what the Bible tells us, that faith is a gift of God. And so here the call is, of course, to turn to the Lord. And the ones that the Lord has chosen, they are the ones who will turn. That's what has to happen for that veil to be removed and for us to have a positive experience with the Word of God, a spiritually positive experience with the Word of God. We have to be changed and the veil has to be removed. Let's keep reading. Verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, notice the language there, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Hmm. The Lord is the Spirit, it says. What What do you make of that phrase? The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So what is happening in this new covenant? What is happening in this new ministry that's by the Spirit? 
what's happening is that God is working in us. He's working through us whenever we're united to Christ by faith. When we become his children through adoption, God is working in our lives in such a way that we become objects of his glory. And that's what he talks about in the uh, next chapter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And 2 Corinthians is my favorite book of the New Testament. And so I want to look at 2 Corinthians 4 real quick, too. It says, um, verse 3, If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, because the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. For we do not preach ourselves, verse 5, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. (laughs) That's an amazing verse. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's like our, our bodies. We're just jars of clay. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Hmm. Wow, that's so amazing. Verse 16 of uh, this same chapter says, We do not lose heart, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Our outer man is wasting away, but our inner man is being renewed day by day. The light affliction of this life that we're going through now, it's producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. We don't look at the things that are seen. We look at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Wow. So to understand how a person can have a relationship with God that is this transformational, that is this life-altering, life-changing, you have to understand that the covenant that we can enter into with God now is not the same as the covenant that the Israelites were called to enter into in Exodus. Perhaps some of you have read through the passages for this Sunday in Exodus, and you're reading about the tablets, and you're reading about the covenant being renewed, and you're thinking about being in covenant with God, and you're thinking about, just like them, that God has certain standards that you have to meet. If you do this, if you obey my voice, if you keep my covenant, then you will have relationship with me, then you will be blessed, then you will... Uh, have an eternal weight of glory based on your obedience, et cetera, et cetera. But that is not what we have in Christ. Now that Jesus has come, now that God has come and taken on flesh and he has lived the life we couldn't live and he's died the death that we deserve, he offers to us grace, grace. And we have now this amazing glory in the gospel that is totally unveiled to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if we turn to the Lord, that veil is removed in our hearts, and we have total unity and and perfect relationship with God that can never be changed, never be altered by anybody, because this covenant that we're entering into is a new covenant that is not conditional, that doesn't include, if you do this, then you will be blessed. But all the promises of Christ that are offered to you in the gospel are yes and amen in Christ not in your works, but in Christ's works, what Christ has done, in Christ's righteousness. And you can be totally set free 
from the conditions of the covenants that exist out there. You're totally set free from those because you belong to God totally, thoroughly, forever, and always if you believe in what Jesus has done on your behalf. Isn't that amazing? And, and the guarantee, going back to this idea of God's elect, there's a guarantee that there will be people who turn to him in faith because Christ is building his church. That was the promise that Jesus gave Peter in, in Matthew 16. On this rock, I will build my church. And he has appointed people to eternal, lot, eternal life, and they will believe. Are you one of those people? Are you one of those people? It's a good question to ask yourself. Am I somebody appointed by God to believe? Well, how, how do you know? Here, here's the question you ask yourself. Have I believed in the gospel of grace? Um, don't redefine grace as you answer that. Don't say, yeah, kind of. I mean, there's, there's stuff I have to do to be accepted by God, or there's stuff I have to do to earn stuff on the other side. Nope, 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 nope. It's either all of grace or it's not of grace at all. It's one or the other. Are you someone who is believing, trusting in Jesus Christ, who has offered to you unmerited favor based on his work, total union with God, once for all, based on a righteousness that is not your own? Do you rest in a righteousness that is not your own? I hope you do, because that is how you have assurance of salvation, that you're resting on someone else's works, Jesus's works. And by faith, by grace, through faith, you are saved. If you want to know more about that, feel free to send me a message. Love to talk more about that. Not too interested in uh, the people who just want to bark and bicker and all that. I'm just presenting to you what the gospel says, what the Bible says. And uh, would love to talk more if you have genuine questions. Thanks for listening, and uh, really hope this is helpful. Give me some feedback if you uh, are somebody who, who's not looking for a fight, who just wants to give me feedback, I would appreciate it. <laughs> Have a great day. God bless.